0: Welcome to another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host Ryan McDowell. I'm joined today by Matt Williamson. Matt, how are you today? What's up, Ryan? How you doing, bud? Excited about our guest today. Yeah, doing well. Ready to talk some Dynasty and talk some wide receivers. We are joined today by Matt Harmon. Matt's a uh, fantasy writer for NFL.com. He's also with Football Guys. And he's got a new project. Matt, welcome to the show. And and tell us a little bit about your, uh, your new venture you have going on.
1: Yeah, appreciate that, guys. I've been listening to your first few episodes. Really been enjoying it, so I'm happy to be a guest today. This uh, I'm really looking forward to our chat. And yeah, the new thing I've got going on right now is my own little podcast, which I'm a terrible, terrible rookie at. So uh, working my way through <laughs> the through the bumps and bruises of it right now. But yeah, it's it's the Backyard Banter podcast, which is the blog that I started a few years back when I got into writing and everything, and uh, basically just interviewing people in the industry to kind of find out how they got where they are, and in order to, with the goal in mind of helping other people along their path, and in order to find, you know, some sort of success or, or, you know, whatever their goal may be, so it's fun, it's been great so far, I've got, you know, three episodes in and uh, several more coming up, I definitely got to get both you guys on at some point, too.
0: Yeah, I'd love to, it's really an interesting topic. And, you know, it's not your typical fantasy podcast, of course.
1: Right, I mean, and that's the thing. I think that people are really interested in other people, and just hearing hearing the experiences that other people have gone through, it's been really helpful, and... To me, it's fun too because I get to learn. You know, I get to learn so much about the people that I've I've followed for years before I was even in the industry, and I think it's stuff that I would have wanted to hear when I was first starting out. And it's been, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I'm really grateful that so many people seem to actually be interested in it. Yeah, Matt,
2: I think it's a really good idea and and a unique one. I mean, there's a lot of podcasts out there, and a lot of them are just talking football, which is great. But you know, yours tells the story of how did you get there and. You know, I was fortunate, you know, enough, I was to fortunate enough to be in the point. league at one point. and yeah. you know, every day I get a tweet asking, "How do I do what you do?" You know, so to be able to tell a story like that is great
1: in an audio format like that. Yeah, and I mean, I I get those tweets all the time, even emails, and I'm like, I I just I don't know how to I don't know how to answer that without like you know like especially, especially in in, in, like yeah right. So the, I think hearing other people's experiences should be helpful for those that you know want to know and kind of can. Pick and choose what they like.
0: Well, Matt, kind of your that baby kind of as you got into the industry was reception perception. So tell us all about that. Um, it, it's it's such an interesting idea. It's in a way it's a simple idea. You're studying wide receivers. You're studying the routes they run, but at the same time it's it's complex. There's so much data, so much uh, information that can be gleaned from that. So just tell us about how reception perception was born.
1: Yeah, well, you know, you talk about starting out in the industry and I think that one of the things that I realized right away was like Matt said I I wasn't coming from, you know, being in the league or playing football or anything like that. So I was like I need I need to have a unique piece of content, something that will help me stand out from the crowd. And so that was kind of that was the first layer of why I needed to have reception perception and and also just the wide receiver position in general really just kind of speaks to me the way like the individual matchups and everything that go into it. And I've always liked a lot of wide receivers watching growing up, like Randy Moss and Steve Smith were some of my favorite players. So I like the position. I also think that it's just one of the ones that's more so, like, anecdotally analyzed in the media and among fans and everything. Because, you know, when you're watching a game on Sunday, you can't see what the receiver's doing. They're beyond the broadcast angle. So I really wanted to go in and chart, basically everything that they're doing, you know, how often they run each route, how often they get open on each route, against what type of coverage do they perform best. So really that's what it is. It's just kind of like what I would be doing anyways if I was watching film, you know, charting everything out, but then presenting it in a way that readers can easily digest it and understand completely the full like the full picture of what the wide receiver is as a player.
2: Matt, two things stand out whenever you say that. First of all... Steve Smith is still playing. Still you know, playing. you're yeah. a young pup. You know that, that's who I remember <laughs> growing up. I remember Steve Largen and Wes Chandler growing up. You know, I mean, you're a young dude, man. You got a lot of years ahead of, of you, of and he's still ahead. playing. Anyways, yeah. So do you? <laughs> no, I, I <laughs> Do you chart every player in the league? Player, I mean, do you have a, a, reception, a, a reception perception of every, of every NFL guy NFL and every incoming in draft pick, incoming draft pick?
1: I'm trying do. to, man. Like you said, I'm young. I I I graduated from college in 2013, and it was really the off-season after that NFL season. So between 2013 and 2014 was when I first started reception perception, like just got my feet in the water, started kind of testing it out. Now I'm trying to go through and get just as many players done as possible. So I don't have it on everybody, but I'm, that's the goal. Like by the end of the offseason, because it takes so much time, you know, after a few months I should have it on, on everybody. Not, maybe not everybody, but a lot of players. That's nice. the goal.
2: How long does it take you to say do Amari Cooper's rookie reception perception?
1: Well, so what I do is I do eight games out of a 16-game sample size because, when, okay. like I said, when I was first trying it out, that was really where I found that the data normalized. So I'm not watching every single game, but right. it, pretty much after you get to eight games, it's indicative of what happened through the entire season. So when I first started, of course, it took like three days to do one player because it was just new to me. But now that I've been doing it for a couple years, I can hammer it out like, you know, within – like a I can get a whole – A whole guy's sample done within a matter of, you know, like six to eight hours is how long I think it would take.
2: I mean, generally, like if you're scouting a player for a team in the league, you want to do at least four games. So, I mean, I think eight is a great sample size, uh, especially if you don't do eight in a row. You know, you do some at the beginning of the season, some late in the season, in case a guy's fighting an ankle or something, you know?
1: Right. What I try to do is I try to pick like four – unproductive games, like where they had, you know, three catches for 30 yards or a catch for eight yards, and then several that are really productive, you know, when Amari Cooper goes for like eight and 109 or something like that. Try to get a mixed bag of that, and yeah, some at the beginning of the season, some at the end, and yeah, for college guys, just as a disclaimer too, since it's not a 16-game sample, I do six games out of that, because that's where I found that that normalizes, so yeah, it's... It, it varies for each guy exactly what the process is of picking the games, but I always try to get, yeah, like you said, always try to get a good sample of games in there.
0: So, Matt, there's a lot of, you know, as the industry grows and, and more and more people are putting time into this, there's just some some great products, some great studies out there, and reception perception is obviously one of those. You know, I remember when Mike Clay created the A dot, and it was that new statistic, that new metric that... Um, caught everyone's attention. But the question for for us dynasty players or fantasy players in general is how can we actually use this? How can we read your articles, look at the data you collect and put that to use in building our teams?
1: Well, I think the most obvious one and this is what happened last year is identifying young players who are about to break out. You know, guys who or even even veteran players that aren't being, you know, maybe they aren't a good fit in their new team. They're going to go and move as a free agent. I mean, the example last year was Michael Crabtree. I mean, the guy was pretty much left for dead last year. Nobody really was excited about him as far as Dynasty is concerned, even in redraft leagues. Some leagues he was going undrafted um, because of what happened in San Francisco, but his reception perception illuminated that he was still a good player. Like, he still had ability. He was still getting open routinely in San Francisco. He just wasn't a good fit with his quarterback. So, I was saying that last year I was saying, like, he's still going to produce if he's with a timing passer, somebody that runs a good up-tempo system. Lo and behold, he goes to the Raiders and has a pretty good year. So I think that's one way, and especially, I mean, Allen Robinson is what the series became so well-known for, was because back in April, you know, I, I was doing his reception perception and clearly saying, like, this guy's a star. I mean, he's getting open at rates that are indicative of, like, Top end NFL receivers. His reception perception looks like guys like Des Bryant or even, you know, some of the best receivers in the NFL. So I said he was going to have a massive breakout and he has 14 touchdowns, top five receiver in fantasy, you know, so I think that's the most popular way that it can be used, but just in general, I think that it really helps illuminate, like, what type of player the receiver is, you know, again, does he fit with a timing-based quarterback, is he a guy that doesn't get open a lot, but makes a lot of catches in traffic, you know, so I think as Dynasty players, we want to best understand the assets that we're going to invest in, and I think that, you know, Humble brag, but I think that reception perception is the best way to get that picture of the wide receiver.
2: I'm sure it also works, you know, for you as, boy, I didn't realize Carolina threw deep as much as they do. Or, boy, you know, Alex Smith throws a lot of easy passes. (laughs) or You know what I mean? Like, you could really get... The, the play caller's thoughts, the, the offensive system uh, of each individual team to a degree, too, that if you're charting Jeremy Macklin, he's used a heck of a lot different than, you know, whoever, you know, pick and choose whoever, whatever receiver you want. So I would think you get a really good
1: feel for, you know, what the teams tell you without actually saying it. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, I mean, that's – teams lie to us all the time. They can't lie, yeah. But they can't lie to us when they put the when they put the tape out there. And I mean, that's what that's all I'm basically doing is going in and watching an, an intensive amount of a wide receiver's game. And like you said, that you learn a lot about the offense that they play in when you do that. And I mean, that's you know, it's no, it's nothing fancy. There's no. There's no, like, advanced, I mean, people say it, I guess it would technically be an advanced metric or analytics or something like that, but it's just watching what the team does and what the receiver does and putting it in an easy-to-digest data point. So I agree with you. Yeah, you, you learn, I mean, that's the, everybody loves the series, and I I appreciate that. It's very, I'm always, like, so just blown away by the interest in it, but to me, I learn so much from doing it.
2: mean, it's obviously a receiver metric, or it's based around, you know, wide receiver play, but like kind of like I, what I was alluding to is you could probably get a really, really good feel for what the play caller, the coach, the organization thinks about their respective quarterback, too.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think that was, again, I bring up the Crabtree example. Watching him and Bolden last year and comparing their games side by side, you could see like why Colin Kaepernick was struggling because he fit with this receiver that you know, he did not. He, I mean, he's not going to run a bunch of precise routes or anything. But he's a see it, throw it type of quarterback. And all you have to do is like Bolden's there. I'm going to throw it to him. I know he's going to catch it. So, and, but it, whereas Crabtree's running real nuanced routes, timing based things, and you could see why he wasn't produ- why he wasn't producing. So that's another great example. Yes.
0: So Matt, from last offseason, you mentioned Allen Robinson and Michael Crabtree. Those were a couple of your uh, your biggest hits, I guess we could say. You also nailed Devontae Adams, but I know that was in the <laughs> That was in the other direction. So what did right. you see a year ago from Adam's game that that made you doubt his, his future?
1: Well, I mentioned up top that I think wide receivers are so anecdotally analyzed, and I think that we, you know, uh, Adam Harstead from one of my football guys colleagues has a he has a great article out there from a, I think it was from a few years ago you know that we have a bias or actually maybe it was last year I don't remember it, but we have a bias towards what we see and what we don't see and I think everybody remembers seeing those two big games from Adams the playoff game against the Cowboys and his game against the Patriots which was a primetime you know really highly popped like highly viewed game so I think people remember that but then when you watched him on a route To route basis, you know, I I, I, like over 400, 300 routes. His reception perception sample size. You saw a guy that just wasn't executing routinely. He wasn't getting open. He struggled against press coverage. Really got lost in zone coverage. Just a guy that really did not look like he was going to make that next step next year. Like a guy that he could be a role, and I still think he could be a solid role player for the Packers. But I was. The more and more you were going to put on his plate, the more and more you were going to ask him to defeat top level cornerbacks. I just thought that there was just no way he had that sort of route running ability at this point in his career. And even things that, you know, like he showed in those couple games where he was making plays on, on incontested situations and after the catch, again, it was just something that people were overrating the flashes and not really doing the work to weigh the whole season appropriately, so that was the biggest thing for me, and and that's another reason why I love doing the process, because you learn so much about, about the player instead of just these small instances.
0: Well, no system is, is foolproof, and you did have a couple of misses, As and, and to your credit, you wrote an article over at Football Guys um, outlining both your hits and your misses, kind of looking back at your previous work from last offseason. season. Um, the thing that struck me is at least from a dynasty perspective, your misses were not very costly, so you know if someone was following everything you said and went out and bought andre Johnson for example, or Brian quick, those were not you know those were not h- expensive investments. I know Andre Johnson had a pretty high adp in in redraft leagues and m f l tens a year ago after going to Indianapolis, but even your misses misses were not costly to dynasty players.
1: Yeah, I bit that Andre Johnson bullet pretty hard. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, you mentioned that article, and I would encourage everybody to go back and read it on Football Guys, because I think trust is really important, you know, both in real life and for your, for, for analysts. And I don't ever want to, like, putting a product out there that was new and still is pretty new. I want people to know that, you know, I'm going to learn from my mistakes, I'm going to own up to them, and, and we'll see, you know, be able to really dig in and discover what the process is all about. And so I think that, yeah with Andre Johnson, obviously one thing that reception perception might not be good at is predicting you know the age cliff and so that's you know I, I still thought he looked good on his 2014 film, but it didn't you know obviously it just fell off like you could see right away in the preseason with the Colts this was not going to work out, so yeah, and, and Brian Quick I still have hope for, you know, it didn't work out this year, I think that if he ends up with a good team in free agency in the next couple weeks, I think maybe there's still some hope there, so yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens, I mean, no system is foolproof, and I, like I said, I'm, I'm sure that since I had a good year last year, everything is just going to be wrong this year, you, you, it's just kind of the way of the world. <laughs>
2: Matt, you mentioned Audrey Johnson and Quick, and both those guys could be on the move this year. I mean, Johnson might be done, but Quick is somebody I'm kind of excited about. you got to remember, I mean, he came off a very severe shoulder injury. Who knows how, you know, how far along in his recovery he was last year. Maybe the worst quarterback situation in the league, bad line play. I mean, I can kind of give him a pass for last year, but that also brings me to the state of the wide receiver position right now in the NFL. I mean, there's a ton of three and four receiver sets. I mean, they're becoming the norm. But look at this upcoming free agency class. I mean, Alshon Jeffrey's not going anywhere. The next best guy is Marvin Jones. I mean, th- this group is very poor. It's going to get paid probably far too much, in my opinion. And we're going to get to the rookies here in a minute, but I'm not that impressed with the rookie crop either. I mean, I think all of a sudden, for the first time in my memory, the demand might be greater than the supply at receiver.
1: I agree we're at a really interesting off season with it because like you mentioned yeah the especially the free agency class there's just none of these guys I I just finished Marvin Jones's reception perception yesterday and Travis Benjamin actually might like for the cost I I've mentioned this a few times on Twitter I've been talking about Travis Benjamin a lot I might like him for the cost better than what it's going to cost to sign Marvin Jones because I think Benjamin's a legitimate player who has rare abilities you know and that's always something you have to like weigh what can can what this guy brings to the table is it more valuable than what this guy might bring to the table and you know you have to weigh that appropriately and yeah but to me you're right there's there's not a lot of there's not a lot of, you know, big name for sure. I'm gonna bring this guy in and he's gonna contribute guys in free agency. And I think guys like Brian Quick and even Andre Holmes from the Raiders, who was a player that I liked a little while back, they should be interesting to teams because they have high upside and can they can play and they're coming from situations that maybe weren't the best fits for them. Yeah, so I, I still have hope for Quick for sure.
2: Yeah, I and mean, if you're the Giants or the Lions and you have Tate or Odell in place but nothing else, you right. know you can't spend a fortune on Marvin Jones, and I just think that's how it's going to end up going. I'd, I'd much rather have a quick or a Benjamin for a, a a better deal.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. I totally agree.
0: All right, well, let's transition over to the uh, incoming rookie class and Matt, I know you got to spend uh, more time and and had I guess more resources for this incoming rookie class than you've had before. so I was excited to to read your report. About these rookies and and let's just start with your favorites I don't know I'm not sure if you're much of a college football fan or you get to watch much college football during the season Uh, but even either way I know this is much more intensive than than just a Saturday on the couch so just jump right into uh, your some of your favorites after doing the reception perception process
1: yeah, so just to kind of give a little background there, you're right. I, I watch a little. I do watch a little bit of college football. I think college football is a ton of fun because I always like to watch a game where I don't have any like fantasy stake in it. You know, like I just get to watch the football and enjoy, you know, Twitter freaking out, like chaos, all that sort of stuff. That's great. So I love I love watching college football. But this season, since I work for work for NFL now, I obviously had a lot more access to all 22 college film. Like we have a huge database at the office, so I'd go in there on Saturdays when I was working and just chart these receivers out cuz last year obviously I was you know working a, a day job was not a full time you know football analyst or whatever and so I was just like scrounging around for film so I only got like 5 games of Amari Cooper 5 games of Devin Smith so very limited stuff last year so yeah I was really excited to get in on these guys too and one guy and I'll talk I'll talk about my favorite right up top uh, one guy in November I just turned on Oklahoma game to chart somebody named Sterling Shepherd and this guy just blew me away with how much of a polished, you know, route runner he was. I mean, he looks like an NFL player already when he's running routes as far as in the Oklahoma offense. And to me, I think he graded out with the highest success rate versus man coverage and success rate versus zone coverage of all the receivers that I charted this year. So super impressed with Shepard. I mean, he's not going to be my number one receiver in the class, but he's probably my favorite just because he scores so well in my system because obviously I emphasize guys that – get open routinely. And that, that's just who he is. And also, I think that I think that some of the, the numbers that I have show that he can be more than just a routine slot receiver. I mean, I, I always hate that we're always looking for the next Antonio Brown because, you know, I hate to compare college prospects to the best player in the, you know, one of the best players in the NFL, but he fits along. I'm not saying he is Antonio Brown, but I think he fits along that Odell Antonio archetype a small receiver that runs great routes and then if he cleans up other aspects of his game as far as like contested situations this is a guy that I think can play outside so to me Shepard is is my favorite right off the top um some of a later I guy, stop
2: you real quick I just want sure. to throw this in here recently a scout in the league told me and this should make you feel good I mean Sterling Shepard is by far the best route runner in this class I mean he said it's yeah. not even close
1: yeah and uh, that does make me feel good and maybe he read uh he read my post that I put on my site a couple <laughs> yeah, months ago Yeah maybe regurgitated your <laughs> info cuz that's exactly that's exactly what I said I um I think Roto World blurbed about it too that yeah I I definitely think he is the best route runner in the class. And if you remember a couple years ago when Odell was coming out, that was what he got a lot of praise for. Dave Gettleman, after they drafted Kelvin Benjamin, was like, oh, yeah, Odell Beck, you know, the draft's already over. It's, it's, it's happened. You know, this is just him being honest. He's like, yeah, Odell is the best route runner in the class. And that's what I think made him such an immediate contributor. Obviously, he's super athletic. He went on to become one of the best receivers in the NFL. But I think Shepard is that way as a route runner. So, yeah, no, I, I'm not surprised.
2: Yeah, and, and Odell, I have a, a story about him. Is When we were up at, at ESPN the last time, Mike Sando was telling a story about he was at the Pro Bowl and he's hanging with all those dudes and he's hanging with the corners and they're, he's asking them, you know, who's the hardest guy to cover? And three or four of them told Sando that it's Odell because if you're looking at his belt buckle and you're doing what, exactly what you're told, his body doesn't defy the rules. You know, he doesn't move like everyone else does. And, and you know, I, I think Shepard has a few of those qualities too as does Antonio Brown.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's how these guys have to win because they're not as big. You know, they're not Mike Evans. They can't just, you know, maybe not run the best route, but hey, you throw that guy the football and he's going to box you out and he's going to win in contested situations. So uh, that's what these guys have to have, and I think Shepard has that ability. So he's going to endear himself to his NFL team very quickly.
0: All right. Let's talk about some of the players that maybe you're a little bit lower on after going through this process than than the consensus seems to be. Whether it's uh, just NFL draft nicks or uh, dynasty fantasy players, who's someone that you probably won't be drafting or, or won't be su- won't be suggesting others draft?
1: Yeah, it's it starts off with Tyler Boyd to me that I think that I I think that Boyd has some really good qualities. I think he has some of that like old man game in him where like he can run. He, he really understands how to be savvy, and that's yeah, you don't see that a lot from college players. I also think that he has really great hands. He's solid in traffic, and I like all that about him, but I think that when you look at him, one of the things that you see is a guy who does not routinely separate. You know, His success rate versus coverage scores are, are very poor, some of the worst in the class, and to me, I think if you already have that, much of a limitation when you're already pretty a pretty good route runner, like as far as your technique is concerned, that worries me because you, maybe you just aren't the athlete that can consistently separate from top-level corners in the NFL. And I think that his reception perception also does, shows that he doesn't have any other aspects in his game that make that that like worth living through. So to me, I, I like Boyd's ability as an NFL contributor. But I, I don't know if I ever see him developing, or if, like, I was running an NFL team, if I'd ever want him to be anything more than, like, my third option. You know, you talked about Marvin Jones in Cincinnati. I think he was great. He, he was able to, you know, when they needed him, they were able to rely on him. And I think Boyd is that kind of player because they had a top-level number one receiver, a stud tight end, and then when they needed Jones, he was there. And I think that that's what Boyd is. And to me, I like, I don't want to, that's great, but I don't know if I want to spend a first-round dynasty pick on that.
2: Yeah, it's funny if you ha- if that's your profile as a wide receiver. The immediate if I'm sitting here in the GM chair, my immediate thought is, how much better can I get make this guy? You know, I mean, I want Dorial Green Beckham, who my coaches right. can grab a hold of and turn him into a Pro Bowler, as opposed to man, he's
1: already hitting his head on the ceiling. Well, it's it's like I, I think I was saying this the other day. Pretty much what I just described was like you could you could sign Jericho like 33 year old Jericho Cottry to the Panthers a couple years ago and pretty much get that type of production. Yeah. You know, or Jason Avant to the Chiefs. Like you can get veterans for super cheap to do that, or pick guys in the later rounds. You know, I, I don't know if I want to again if I'm an, even if I was an NFL GM, I don't know if I want to spend a first round pick on Tyler Boyd to give me that, or even maybe a second round pick. So I, I think there's good aspects of his of his game, but I definitely think some people out there are a lot higher on him than I am.
0: Yeah, it seems like he's a guy, at least in the dynasty circles, that is starting to fall back to the pack. Um you know, for a long time he was viewed as the favorite to be the one point oh three pick in dynasty rookie drafts and, and some even had him higher than that, I think. And, and now, you know, Shepard and Josh Dotson and some of these other players, uh Derek Henry potentially, are, are I think are bypassing him.
1: Yeah, I mean there's just so many guys, like you mentioned Shepard. There's there's nothing that that Boyd does better than Shepard. I mean nothing, so if you're just being honest about what you see on film and how they play and, and how they project to the next level, you have to I mean Shepard's clearly better than, than, than Tyler Boyd and, and will offer more right away and in the long term, in my opinion.
2: Hey, question for you on this rookie class too, and, and it seems sure. like it's the hot topic is Josh Doxon's coming off a very impressive combine. you know I mean he, there were concerns about his speed, and he, you know he ran well enough. His jumps are outstanding, and Treadwell didn't do a lot. So you know, one guy's hot at least in Twitter world, and one guy isn't. And I forget who actually put it out there, and I wish I wrote it down. But somebody that does what we do on Twitter that we all probably follow wrote, "Hey, I'm old enough to remember when LeCron Treadwell was a good prospect."
1: (laughs) You know, like everyone's like written him off already. You know, can you compare these two? Yeah, no, I think it's worth a comparison for sure. And I, I will say that. Just I know you said this at the top, Matt. I actually think this is a. I'm going to disagree with you on this. I think it's actually a pretty good rookie class, if if you view it in the terms of just what it is, not compared to the last couple of years. Because you know I think 2014 was obviously a great class. Like it's it's almost not worth comparing anything to that. There was just so many high-level players. But then last year, too, there was a lot of potential number one receivers. You know, even in the first round, you know, Devontae Parker, Brashad Perryman, some of the guys that weren't the top two players, even Doriel Green-Beckham you mentioned, all those guys have potential to be number one receivers in the NFL, which I know that you've said in the past plenty of times that, you know, that's not, like, there's not 32 of those guys out there. But, and I agree with that. And I, I think that – so there, there was a lot of potential number ones there. This class, I think there's a ton of, like, really good, solid contributors, like good flankers, good slot receivers, guys that you want as your twos and threes, which isn't sexy for Dynasty, but I still think there's a lot of potential NFL players in this class. And I think that – but Treadwell and Doxton, to me, are the two guys that profile as potential number ones. Like put them at the X or whatever, you know – Um and And I think they can thrive, and to me, I think it's worth the conversation to compare the two. Doxson's great. I mean he's really good at everything. his reception perception is incredibly impressive, just as far as he gets like he was the only guy in the class that had an above average success rate versus coverage success rate versus coverage on every single route. so to me he does like he does everything really well, obviously, the ball skills are impressive. I think he has a ton of potential as a route runner, but you're right though. Treadwell is kind of getting, you know, slandered throughout the process, and I, I don't think that's fair at all. I think this, is, and we kind of saw the same thing happen with the Mari Cooper last year. You know, we're so used to these guys being that hey, this guy is going to be a stud, and we've known it for years. That sometimes now we get into the process and the nitpicking starts, and we'll see, you know, we'll see what happens, what the NFL tells us, where he gets drafted. But I think the criticisms on Treadwell are are very much. Unfounded. Like, again, so his success rate versus coverage scores were quite quite positive, you know, on slant routes, on deep routes, on everything. So I think that, like, he's not the fastest player in the NFL, but I by far do not think that is the most important aspect to being successful. So to me, I, I don't see the critiques in Treadwell's game right now. I, I think he's a, going to be a great player.
2: I have one more question. I will turn it back over to Ryan here is – You know, yeah, I think you summed it up, you know, better than I did. That yes, there's a lot of contributors in this class, um, and I am probably being biased and judging it against the past two draft classes, which I like a lot. I mean, give me Parham, give me, you know, you know, Green Beckham, and that's my question: is what what I haven't found yet, and maybe I'm missing them, and I just haven't done nearly nearly as much work on this as you have. But give me, who's the size speed freak in this class? Is
1: there somebody? I mean, I'm not I'm not asking for Julio Jones, but give me—I don't see any of them. Right, and I think that is the big problem. And there's not really, like, just up top. I think, I think Treadwell is like he plays like a size-speed guy. Like, obviously, he plays big, but I think and I think he has great quickness, especially after the catch. That's the one thing I never see anybody mention with him. Everybody critiques his his speed and all that, but just how great and dynamic in short area in short areas, like, after the catch, the ball in his hands, he's dynamic in that. So I think he's the one guy, like, as the, you know, potential high-end X receiver, you know. But then, t- to me, I think that there's, there is no guy like that. Like, in the late rounds especially, I mean, the only other guy that I can think of with size, well, there was you Wilson, but we know how that's going right now. Um, <laughs> and he's still finishing that 40. But um, <laughs> the only other guy that really strikes me in the late rounds that has – great size is uh, Sharon Peak from Clemson, who I do think was really kind of misused at Clemson. You know, and I, like he ran 31% of his routes were go routes, you know, nine routes, just straight down the field. And that's not his game at all, though. Like, he's not, he doesn't play with great speed. He tested with a good 40 time, but I think he can be used as kind of a short area possession receiver. So even as I'm saying that, no, there's not a guy like that. You know, there's no you know, sexy late-round upside pick. There's some guys in the late rounds that I really like, but not not a guy like a Doriel Green-Beckham. You know, he wasn't a late-round pick, but a guy that, you know, had upside that hadn't been tapped yet.
2: Even like a Moncrief,
1: you know, right. a third,
2: third fourth-round type guy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There, there's not that guy really. I mean, like I said, there's late-round guys like, you know, Malcolm Mitchell that nobody talks about until he had a good combine. That was, that was one guy, you know, you mentioned people that I like more than others. He graded out like well, not, I hate to say grade because that's just a different topic of why I don't like to say grade. But um, I think he scored out in reception perception, you know, as as a top-level prospect, you know, like a guy that can really play. And he, you know, there was a report from I think Tony Pauline that said he could go undrafted. But the guy, I, I because he's older, I think he has medical concerns too. But to me, he plays really well. And so then when he goes out and has a good combine. I'm like, okay, maybe I'm not crazy. You know, maybe there is something there. So he's a late rounder that I like. But, again, you know, older, injury concerns. There, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to get behind some of these guys. You know, Rashard Higgins it was a player that I loved, but then he tested out, like, the third percentile or something of spark athletes, with, according to Zach Whitman. You know, he's got to beat all the odds. So, yeah, it's, it's tough to find that late round. Like, this guy could, if everything hits. If everything if, hits, yeah. Yeah. He's a stud. Yeah. yeah. I just don't see that guy. Yeah, I'm, struggling. I'm I'm with you. I'm struggling to find it as well.
0: Well, one player who has caused a great debate, I guess, is Braxton Miller, trying to make the transition from quarterback to wide receiver. Of course, he played wide receiver for Ohio State last season. Can he make this transition, Matt?
1: Yes. Uh, I think that, uh, well, I say yes, as in like, yes, let's talk about the topic. Not yes, for sure he can make the transition. But um, I think the one thing that, I came away with after doing his reception perception was maybe you know so I'm not going to give you a definitive answer cuz I, I I don't really know but I think that he had a ton of, he obviously ran a ton of routes in the slot you know played a ton of snaps in the backfield more than everybody and more than anybody else that I charted in the class obviously you know I don't have any catches from him in his reception perception in contested situations but we know that he's a high level athlete his success rate versus coverage um I on Against man coverage was positive; it it was above the average. But again, he ran fewer routes than anybody. So I think that there's enough evidence to think that he can make the transition. And it's great that he's a year ahead of schedule. You know, as far as most of these guys that come out making the move from quarterback, but I I don't know for sure. I do think he has an NFL future. I think that it can happen, but I'm there's not enough evidence to say that it definitely will. But I'm you know I'm excited to watch it.
2: Yeah, I'm a Miller fan. But one thing I learned from going to Senior Bowls and just watching, you know, the, the highlights of this one and, you know, Miller tore up the Senior Bowl. Yeah, he was very impressive. He had great quickness. I saw the athletic ability. But he had, like, seven seconds to get open. <laughs> I right. mean, you, you got to remember what that format is at the Senior Bowl. And I think people need to step back just a little. I mean, no one's going to cover anybody for as long as he had to, to run around in an open field. And then I guess my question to you, too, and I don't even know if you know this answer, but, you know, the other Ohio State receiver, Michael Thomas, did did opponents roll coverages one way or the other? Did one benefit from having the other more than the other guy? You know what I mean?
1: Well, it's such an interesting offense because they obviously they have a mobile quarterback. You know, they have a great running back. They have a ton of – there's another uh, Ohio State receiver prospect who's in this class. So they have a ton of options. So, no, I don't think that – and also I think that we kind of overstate, you know, especially in college, like how much – one receiver gets doubled more than the other but as you mentioned Braxton Miller definitely played you know a specialized role this year i mean he definitely he ran some routes you know for sure you definitely see that on film but also you got to keep in mind that again he's playing a ton from the slot playing from the black, playing from the backfield so um like you said it's 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 inconclusive right now okay so uh, one, not, sorry, I, I don't mean to, I don't mean to jump in. No, here, uh, but one, I we just doubling back on something we were just talking about. You know, as far as side speed guys, upside guys, somebody that I, I neglected to mention and I, I should have is Kira Garrett from Tulsa. I think is like that only guy in the class that I think fits that profile, and he had a dynamic combine. Um, so I think he went out and proved that athleticism. Uh, his success rate versus man coverage was above above the class average, very good scores there uh, against press coverage. He was he did really well. The only thing he scored poorly in was zone, and I do think that there are some, you know, kind of just like hiccups there. He he doesn't he doesn't have that like that mental aptitude right now to know, and I'm not calling him dumb. I'm just saying like he doesn't have he doesn't have that advanced nuance nuance to know like I need to sit down in this zone coverage right now. So he's he's that project player that I think could be if, if everything hits, I think he could be a really surprising guy. I don't know if he's, you know, quite to the upside of other guys. But the one interesting thing with him is he run he ran a ton of slant routes, ran them well. Ran a ton of deep deep routes, ran them well. But the one thing with him is like he gets he gets caught up after the catch too much. And I think I think again speaks to that he needs to be taught like to, to like some of the timing aspects of the game because i think he has like you look at him and you're like wow oh, this guy should he looks like, like like Laquan Treadwell he's big he's cut he looks like he should just power through you know, all these tackles, but it's just timing and setting things up because he just got dropped on first contact like a weird amount. Like, just you saw it coming, you're like, oh, he's going to make this guy miss, and he didn't. So I think if he gets with the right receiver coach, he could actually be that guy in this class. And I just wanted to make sure I, I did mention that I do think there is a guy out there.
2: Matt, I want to throw a little note your way, too. You mentioned, you know, he grades well versus zone, he grades well versus man. And just something I wanted to kind of mention to our listeners and you since you do this, like when I got hired by the Browns, I spent a couple hours with every position coach, you know, before, we, you know, right away. And I remember sitting there with the receivers coach for, you know, a couple hours watching a lot of film. This is exactly what the Browns want at the position. And he said over and over and over and every scout has always told me this, you know, when you're when you're watching college kids to project in the NFL, absolutely watch as many snaps as you can find against press coverage. It's just, yes. you know, it's absolutely, you know, huge in the scouting world.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree with you and like that's the coverage that they're going to see in the NFL, but by like by the numbers I have, by and large they face far less press coverage far, than right. they do in the NFL. You know, they're playing or they're playing a lot of off. So it's important and that's why that's why well, that's one of the things that I track, you know, their success rate versus press coverage and some of the guys in the class that are good at that, I mean Josh Doxton has the best score, Sterling Shepard has the best score, Josh Doxton, you know, though that's why these guys are going in the first round because they've shown on their Maybe not Shepard. I think he could be a back-half first-round pick, and I'd be okay with it. But, you know, that's why these guys are some of the best prospects. And then you look down the ladder, you know, at guys like Kiaris Garrett, at Malcolm Mitchell, Michael, the other Michael Thomas from southern Mississippi, who I still don't know why he wasn't at the Combine. Like, that's why you look at these guys as late-rounders who could be really good because they beat press coverage, you know. Leonte Cruz, another guy who scores out really well against press coverage. So yeah, you're right. That's a super important thing. And so if you're looking at the reception perception article, if you're one of the listeners, definitely pay attention to that. Like those are the guys that, that you should value really highly.
2: And, and there's some prospects that it's hard to find. I mean you've got to dig through tapes to find yes. you know, serious man coverage, and they're not exactly Deion Sanders locking them down.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. And that's again, with Devontae Adams that we talked about him, that was one of his biggest weaknesses as a rookie was that was one of his I think he was the either the second – no, he was the second lowest-scoring receiver from that rookie class against press coverage in his first year in the NFL. That was one of the reasons that I thought he was going to struggle. And, you know, that's why that's why I do reception perception because it's watching these guys on a route-to-route basis over a large sample size and finding conclusions that way. So, yeah, I, that's definitely an important thing.
2: Ryan, I'm sorry. I keep monopolizing him. But it leads me <laughs> to one more question. So you watch all these NFL guys. Do you find a handful of them that are – the, the teams just don't even press. You know, like why would I'm not even gonna bother pressing Des Bryant or Julio or whoever because he's gonna eat me for
1: lunch. I mean, they still try. God, you know, yeah. God bless them. They, they're still, they're still trying. I mean, because you know, it's it's hard to. I think that's another thing that that gets overstated a lot is just how much how much you can really do to stop these guys. You know, it, there's, you can dictate a lot of resources, but, you know, these oh, corners you have to take Julio Jones away. Right. Good luck. Yeah, yeah it's easier said than done. Um, so some of these guys, I think, well, the best, the best, I think, press coverage score that I had last year, you know, were, were, were those small, quicker guys like Antonio Brown and Odell Beckham. But, yeah, they, I mean, they still try. You know, they, they, they still have to do You know, the corners still have to try to execute their job as best they can.
0: Let's go back to that that press coverage idea for the incoming rookie class. You mentioned some of the players who had scored well against that. If I remember correctly, I think Pharaoh Cooper was one that struggled against press coverage. Uh, And correct me if I'm wrong, but who were some of the players that we may want to avoid with that in mind?
1: Yeah, Will Fuller has the worst score against press coverage that I have, which, again, is funny because he's a small guy, you know, and, and well, it's... Yeah, but thin. he's not
2: strong. I mean, right. He can muscle yeah. him. You can bang him around.
1: Yeah, he's. He, I guess I shouldn't say it's surprising because he's small and he's he's fast, but he doesn't really understand how to use quickness well. And so, to me, I know he's getting a lot of hype as, like, a top 20 pick, and to me that's nuts. Like, that's there are guys I would definitely take over him. I like Will Fuller. I think he is he scores out well as a deep threat you know but i'm struggling to see that that you know, is he going to be a regular guy I can count on, or is he going to be just a flash player? And to me, I don't know if I... I, I lo- like, Devin Smith was a guy that I loved last year because he had that trump card. He had the ability to get deep. He scored outrageously well as a deep threat at Ohio State for me. and But also in contested situations and against press coverage. And Will Fuller doesn't do that. He does not have good scores in contested situations. He does not have good scores off press coverage. And that's not even getting into the drop issues, which if you follow my work, you know I have have strong feelings on and uh so to me yeah it's it's that's one guy that jumps off right away as somebody that he like I said worst score against press coverage in the class so that's something that I, I I question if we're getting a little if we're putting the cart before the horse on him
0: well you mentioned the drops and, and Fuller has been one to battle that it seems like every year there's at least one rookie who who struggles with just hanging on to the ball, and, and that of course affects their playing time in the in the NFL. That affects their fantasy production, obviously. So, is it going to be Fuller that that we're talking about as the guy who can't catch the ball, or or do you see somebody else who uh, could be that guy?
1: Yeah, it, it's funny because this class has a lot of guys. Like up at the top, have a lot of guys that struggle with drops. Corey Coleman has a has a pretty high drop rate. Uh, even Treadwell definitely has some drops on his film. Um, Sharon Peak, I mentioned him earlier, as a guy that I like as kind of a sleeper. He's one that he has a higher than average drop rate, and again, that's something that I, I don't think, I think it should never be the first thing you mention with a wide receiver, and it happens all the time, again, because it's something that you know, I, I put an article on my site about this. If if you haven't checked it out and you're listening, I would definitely recommend uh, checking it out on thebackyardbanter.com. Just really my like my full thoughts on drops and how it fits into the wide receiver evaluation. But but you're right though. Like an NFL team, if you're a, if you're a late round pick, you know you get into camp and you're dropping a ton of balls you know, you might get cut. You, you're you definitely not going to get any playing time. So these late-round guys, it's especially pertinent to look at them. You know, Michael Thomas, the, the other one from southern Mississippi, had the highest drop rate for me. And maybe that's why he didn't get invited to the combine, you know, because an NFL team looks, you know, turns on his tape. You know, they're doing a – and I, I, Matt can probably speak to this you know, better than I can, but, you know, they turn on the tape, they're looking at a guy from Southern Mississippi, a potential, you know, late round, undrafted free agent guy, and they see, like, you can see he has ability, you can see he he scores well in, in all aspects of reception perception, but they see those drops, and they're like, no, I just move on to the next guy, you know, it, they're, that's a big problem for them, so, you know, he's a guy that has that, uh, some other guys, um, Roger Lewis, who's I'm not a big fan of, I know some people like, because he's got a, you know, high market share and all that sort of stuff, he's another one that could, could not not ingratiate himself quickly to his NFL team. So there are several guys in this class that, that have drop issues, you know, and they're going to have to, especially for the late-round guys, overcome them to get playing time.
2: Matt, the one, one guy at the top of this rookie list, and this is really my last rookie question for you, that we haven't dug into and we just mentioned his name, was Corey Coleman. What's your thoughts on him? We've pretty much covered the top you know, eight or ten
1: receivers in the draft. Yeah, I, I, I like Coleman, and I think he will – If we're, I haven't formulated rankings completely yet, but I think that the one thing that I know for sure is my top four. And it would go Treadwell, Doxton, and that's really close. You know, Gap, Shepard, and then Coleman would be my fourth. And I think that the good far outweighs the bad with Corey Coleman. I think that he – I mean, if there's <laughs> one guy from this class that you told me in four years from now, if they hit their peak – that he's a top 10 receiver in the NFL, I think it would be Corey Coleman, but he has to hit that peak, you know. I mean, he shows the ability, the potential to be a great route runner. He's not there yet, of course, and, and, you know, he had a very limited route tree, but a lot of these guys in college have a limited route tree, and a lot of guys in the NFL do, too. You know, I I bring that up all the time that these stud-level receivers, like Demarius Thomas, perfect example. That guy runs, like, four routes, you know. So NFL teams can put him in a position to win, and I think that somebody will definitely – make the gamble on Corey Coleman's upside. And I think it's, I think it's, it's worth it.
0: All right. Well, I was taking notes, uh, all throughout what you were saying, Matt, and I I hope our listeners are too. Uh, great stuff from you. Let's wrap up our show today with looking at a few dynasty trades. And just like last time, we're actually going to look at some of Matt's trades in, in the new league we talked about last week, hyperactive Two, I commissioned that league and play in that league. Matt did the dispersal draft, uh, about ten days ago or so, and and he's been busy since making a ton of trades. And uh, these these got the attention of your followers. Matt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Let me
2: preface this. You know, I mean, I I certainly am a rebuilder. I you know we we had a dispersal draft like you mentioned. You know, it's two one really bad team and one pretty good team come together, and we both ended up with half a good team. So I'm building for the future. And you know, I mentioned this too on our last podcast. I usually I throw all my dynasty trades out there. And I probably get the benefit of the doubt from a lot of my followers. Oh, Matt, you know what you're talking about. Way to go. Boy, I sure didn't in this one. You know, I made all three of these trades in the same day, like within an hour, one of them with you, and I kept pounding them out there, and I made two others at a different league. And boy, I mean, it was not my day on Twitter. My followers were <laughs> killing me.
0: Well, it's good they can be honest, at least. So let's look at the trades really quickly, and, and Matt, feel free to uh, chime in your thoughts on these as well, if you'd like. Uh, the first one was with me. You gave Eddie Lacy, and I gave uh, Devontae Adams, Jay Samaro, and a 2017 third rounder. So and this is the
2: one I took the most heat for, and right. I probably deservedly so.
0: So all of these players are, you know, have seen a drop in value since last year. Obviously, Amaro didn't even step on the field. Uh, in 2015, we've talked about Devonte Adams' struggles, and people are, you know, obviously doubting if he can ev- ever become a dynasty asset again. Well, Matt's a big <laughs> fan of him, I've, seen, I've noticed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, you're, you're already That's talking favorite about guy. Guy. <laughs> yeah, right.
0: <laughs> and, uh, and we've talked about Eddie Lacey's struggles as well on here. Uh, it does seem like, you know, we're hearing some good reports about Lacy getting in shape and working out and losing weight uh, over the offseason, so you know we'll we'll find out if that's true or not yeah it seemed like the it seemed like the majority of people were on my side on this deal and i was kind of surprised honestly uh, obviously i liked the trade for my team or i wouldn't have made it but i guess i underestimated how many people were so down on Adams, and and it's probably partially due to to Matt's work. Uh, he's he's convinced his readers. Uh,
1: well, I'm I'm glad I finally did because it was a tough battle a year ago, man. It was. Oh, I be, bet. Be a Devontae Adams, like not believer last year, leading into this season. That was that was rough waters. So I'm glad they're finally listening. <laughs> Especially like when Jordy got hurt, and you know, oh, and, and it was I'm, like a. He was like a fourth or fifth round redraft pick, man. It was tough. Right. It was tough times. I'm glad. I'm. I feel. I mean, I root for the guy. You know, I never root for a player to fail, but I'm. I'm glad I. You're not feel too broken about, about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. At least I was vindicated. Yeah. I mean, my thoughts on this trade were,
2: and yeah, I do think in the end he probably, you know, Ryan probably got the better deal here. You know, and it helps his team more than it helps mine. I kind of looked at Amaro, Adams, and Lacey as all by lows. You know, that none of their stocks. This is about as low as any of their stocks will probably go. I, I pro- and one of my problems when I, I do it when I take over teams is I set my mind that this guy's not gonna be on my roster. He needs to go. You know, like I remember two years ago I went with Cedric Benson. I'm like, this guy's has to go. He's not on my team. I didn't want Lacey. He is gonna be a free agent after the year, but I'm also highly convinced that I wanted to move him before free agency starts, because I think the, the Packers are gonna bring a decent back in. I mean, I don't think you could trust him as your only running
0: back. And I would be shocked if Matt Forte ends up there. Even though a lot of people are on my side on that one, it's you know that's the fun part of dynasty and and not every trade ends up the way you know the way it looks at first or the way we think it should be.
1: I recently just dealt away lacey in in my by far my worst dynasty team it felt i instantly like regretted it as soon as I did it I was like oh, i really wish i hadn't have. and i sold it it was part of a package deal like i sold d t uh it was d t and Eddie Lacey for uh, a first-round pick this year, a first and second round this for a high first-round pick, high second-round pick this year, and Dante Moncrief, because I really wanted to get Dante mm-hmm. Moncrief. because Moncrief, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I said this this year, and I think that if Andrew Luck hadn't got hurt, it would have. You know, we could have been talking about it now. But I think this time next year won't shock me if he's the best receiver on the Colts. Uh, that's how much I believe in his ability. So I really wanted him out of it. But I, yeah, as soon as I sold Lacey, I felt I regretted it. But I I wouldn't be surprised if it's, it's the right move. I wouldn't be surprised if it's the wrong move. It's a tough time to own Eddie Lacey.
2: My first move in this league was trading 1-6 for Dante Moncrief, more or less. I'd rather Moncrief than Lacey.
0: So, Matt, your second deal was selling Josh Gordon. We've talked about him a lot on uh, on this show already. You sold Gordon for Ladarius Green, a late fourth-round rookie pick, and a future first-round rookie pick. We've also talked about the value of those... Rookie, those 2017 rookie picks and just how crucial it, it's going to be to stack up and load up on those. What was your mindset on that one? Well, there's a couple things. Is First of all, before I made any of these trades, I think my
2: starting tight end was Anthony Fasano. I mean, I mean like, it couldn't have been worse at that position. So I was looking to find Walford or somebody cheap and young that might turn into something, and I think Amaro and Green fit that mold. So I sent Matt Waldman an offer. I think I offered him two-thirds for Ladarius Green, you know, with my fingers crossed that maybe he goes to a good location, becomes more of a feature of the offense. I've always been a fan, Um, and he writes me back with this offer, and I immediately accepted it. And my, my thoughts were, I could see why Matt would do it, too. I mean, Waldman, that, hey, Gordon could be a stud. I mean, he could be the number one receiver next year, and that's certainly possible. But like we talked about during the dispersal draft, you and I both thought that I got Gordon pretty cheap. You know, I mean, he kind of fell right in my lap in the in the dispersal draft, and I felt like I'm just going to turn a profit now. You know, because if that 2017 first would have been the dispersal draft, I would have taken it ahead of where I took Gordon at the time. So I just kind of turned. It was just a quick flip. You know, he's been on my team for a week. I'm I'm getting up another 17 first, maybe my starting tight end.
0: I'm loaded at receiver. Okay, I'll do it. Yeah, for me, this trade comes down to that—that that future first. So we'll, you know, we'll know more in—in in a year from now. If it's in the top half of the draft, I really like that deal for you. If not, it could go—could go wrong. But you know, Gordon's not even reinstated yet, so there's right, there's, and he might be smoking bongs as we speak. <laughs> there's a lot of unknowns on that trade. What do you think, Matt? Look,
1: let, let me ha- yeah, let me ask you guys about this because I know that. Uh, well, for one, I—I I love buying Leverius Green right now. I—I I think that's a good. Good move. I would love to see him with a new team. I keep thinking, and, you know, Green Bay never does this, but uh, my roommate here, Alex Gelhar, and my fellow NFL.com co-worker, he's a big Packers fan, and we talk a lot about, I would just love it if the Packers signed Ladarius Green. Because they, they need it they end. They need a tie it in so Finley. Yet. He could be there yeah. to Michael Finley, yeah. Oh, that would be perfect because I think they definitely can't stand Pat at receiver. But one of the things that re- they really should do is just invest in a tight end. That would be a great spot for him. But um, other, so would other Atlanta,
2: other, Atlanta would be another nice spot
1: for him. Atlanta would definitely be fun. There's a lot of places that could use tight end right. Even Houston, Houston would be another one. But they yeah. don't have a quarter. They don't have a quarterback, so whatever. But for dynasty, that wouldn't be great. Um, I think that because let me ask you guys about this. The 2017 first thing I know you guys have talked about it a lot on the podcast, and I, d- I do not know next year's class well at all. But because that th- that definitely seems to be a thing in the dynasty world right now. I've gotten a few offers like already trying to poach those 2017 picks, and is it really something? Like because one trade I just made too was I, I got a package that involved Cam Newton, Greg Olson, John Brown, this year's two for Blake Board – like for and there were some other players thrown in there too, like just but not not as important. But then and then. What I gave away was a 2017 first, and then, like, Blake Bortles, Rashad Jennings, Marvin Jones, the two Ravens tight ends, you know, like, nothing I was really all that worried about parting with, but I was, I really wanted to get Cam and John Browns, one of my favorite receivers, at least one of my favorite receivers to, to own. So is that 2017 first that really, is it really that, like, valuable? Because it definitely seems to be that way right now in, in the community.
0: What do you think, Ryan? Yeah, I think it is. You know, we, we look at these classes a year out or sometimes even two years out, and we look at those top-end guys. Like a year ago, we were talking about Elliott and Treadwell, and there were, there were two of them. Next year, there's arguably four or five of them. You know, there's Leonard Fournette at LSU, Nick Chubb from Georgia, Dalvin Cook from Florida State, and those guys are all running backs. So it's really going to test some of the guys like me and Matt and so many others who have become accustomed to building around wide receivers. Um but next year is going to be all about the running back, and, and there's so many others. Christian McCaffrey from Stanford and Smosh yeah, right. from, from Oklahoma. There's so many others that, that are in that mix as well. And then, of course, the wide receiver, Juju Smith from USC, uh, will be one of the top guys as well. So, yeah, uh, as I think we've said it on every episode, but collect those 2017 picks, even second and third rounders.
2: I'm a huge fan of just collecting future picks in general because you know at week 8 I can always sell them I mean I can always
0: they're always they're only going to go up
2: in value I really go out of my way in every league to have at least a couple extra picks going forward and the and also you probably get get the, the gist of it here too is I'm just not super excited
1: about this this draft
2: class so right. I, I don't mind moving picks this year for next year stuff at a little bit of a profit.
1: Yeah, I might be the opposite way too cuz especially that league I just mentioned I made that big trade with to get Cam and John Brown gave up the future first and you know there's more to it but I I don't have any like I don't have any picks this year because I'm pretty willing to I'm I'm like the yeah. opposite I'm pretty willing to deal away those future picks especially if like this is a good contending team I think I'd lost in the in the semifinals so I I want to make that run at it I'm I'm pretty I actually kind of build the opposite way uh in in terms of the picks so that's interesting
2: and Ryan you know this better than I do but when I made the deal with Waldman he said something on Twitter about He's always traded his first in this league. You know, like he's dumping his picks every year, and it's worked out well for him. I mean, just different strategies, but apparently he's not big on them either.
0: Yeah, exactly, and we, you know, we think of Matt Waldman as a, the rookie scouting guy, and, and obviously he does an awesome job with that. It's a great resource for all of us. Um, but yeah, he has mostly traded his picks in that league, which, which is interesting.
1: Waldman's a, Waldman's a crafty dude.
0: Well, Matt, you had one other trade that we'll we'll talk about really quickly. Basically, you gave the 1.04 for Brashard Perriman and an early third rounder this year. Perriman's another guy that's kind of mysterious. He didn't get to play last year with that injury, and a report came out the other day that he actually is still not cleared. What made you give up the 1.4 for for him? The most recent things I've heard on Perriman were Ozzie
2: Newsom saying, we're excited about him, we think he'll be ready. But, I mean, buying an injured guy is certainly – a red flag, um, I would rather Perryman than, than the 1-4. And, and here's my my logic on this guy is I don't see anybody like him in this class. You know, which goes back to our previous conversation. This guy's the ultimate speed freak. I mean, he is a very, very fast dude, highly explosive, and he's not Will Fuller. I mean, he is a big physical man. And my thoughts on him are he's – his. I think right this second will be the lowest his stock will ever go in his career because – I, think he's po- I love his situation. I trust the organization. I trust Ozzie. I trust Flacco. I trust Harbaugh. I think he's going to be the number one receiver. You know, He has Steve Smith to learn from. I don't think they're going to – certainly not going to use, what, the fifth or sixth pick in the draft on a receiver. I don't think they're going to use a receiver pick super high. They don't have much cap room to spend. I mean, it's his job. I mean, it, 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 guys like Aiken are in his way, and I'm not worried about him. You know, I, I think he has a chance to be truly great. And at 1-4, who's that, Coleman? I mean, I, maybe doxson if Henry goes early. I'll take him over all those guys.
1: It, it's funny. Matt and I seem to really be on, on the same wavelength as far as the trades go because I just made a deal to, to bump down from the 1-3 to 1-4 and picked up Charles Sims. You know, just as uh, kind of like – another yeah, target of mine, yeah. Yeah, so we seem to be – and, it got, and my, my thought process too was to kind of – you know, like I said, I like this rookie class more than you do, but I might think about making that same move for Perryman because I don't so, God, I hope nobody that's in that league is listening. They I know. probably are. <laughs> I'm, I'm screwed
2: now. But you know what? Whoever uh, I made this deal with, and I, I apologize, I don't remember. He's probably listening. I told him over and over. I'm like, I can't give you one four straight up for Perryman. I need a little more. But I woulda. Don't tell him.
1: Yeah, I know. That's we all. We all do that. <laughs> <laughs> we all become the biggest bunch of liars ever when we start. making oh, but that the was the worst of it. <laughs> McTavish <laughs> destroyed me for Lacey and he wouldn't throw in an extra fourth-round pick in 2019 <laughs> or something. Oh, beautiful. But, but, I, but I'm, with, I'm with you though. I like I Perryman is like the most Matt Harmon type of player ever. Now that's a really arrogant thing to use my name in the third oh, person, man. but I just I just did it. And uh, but like because he's a, he's all about like it's embrace the variance, you know, like. You live with the drops, you know you live with the negative parts of his game because the upside is just so great, so uh, I'm with you on buying him, and I also like i've kind of already talked myself into the idea that if the Ravens offense, another thing like the Ravens offense, if it hits its peak, could be really good next year yep. you know Steve Smith's playing a complimentary role, Joe Flacco's healthy. They have Justin Forsett and Buck Allen, or, you know, they can complement each other pretty well. But then the receivers, yeah, Steve Smith playing a complementary role. I like Kamar Aiken as, like, a legit, you know, contributor. And then if Perryman hits that upside, it could be a lot of fun there in Baltimore. So, yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I'm i a Perryman fan for sure.
2: And Flacco's always had a Torrey Smith, <clears throat> excuse me, a throw deep guy. And they, they draw a lot of pass interference calls there. He's got a big arm. They're going to connect on a couple of them. I mean, as Perryman's learning his trade. Yeah, I agree.
0: All right. Well, thanks again to Matt Harmon for joining us. Matt, it was a fun show, and you definitely brought the information that's going to be helpful to us as we move towards rookie drafts and, and look at these wide receivers. Uh, before we wrap up, why don't you tell everyone where they can find your work? I know there's a few different spots.
1: Sure. So, I mean, the best way to do it is obviously just to follow me on Twitter, um, at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. Uh, sorry about the underscore. I'm not a fan of it either, but uh, it is what it is. Um, and And, uh, and the com is really where I'll link out to like any reception, perception content. I, and I write a few. I'll be writing a column for the Washington Post this off-season on reception, perception. So I'll put the links there so you can find it. So that's really the best way. And I'll also be doing some rookie stuff at NFL.com too. I've got uh, Josh Doxon profile, Kenny Lawler profile already up there. So yeah, I'll be I'll be busy.
0: All right. Well, thanks again for joining us, and we'll be back next time.